The still, small voice comes from within. Part and parcel of the new covenant, the one that gives us entry to an intimacy with the Lord God Almighty. If we answer the call, we are all in, ready and set to go from darkness to light. Such a sweet invitation to serve and to follow, yes. But we are also wise to take into account the difficult corridors the Lord's spirit-led footsteps sometimes took him to and through, amidst jagged rocks, past human snakes, and pausing painfully in a place of thorns and skulls. God makes no apology for the circuitous route to heaven, but he promises we will get there. He will lead us and love us on the journey, and our path will be marked by his glory and the good he means to make of us, in us, and through us along the way. If I uh, took a survey and uh, asked you to uh, write down the church's mission statement on a piece of paper, um, I wonder how many of you, if you didn't have the cheat sheet in front of you, would be able to do that. Um, thank you, Brian. Uh, it is. It is the mission statement that even predates me as a pastor. It's the one I inherited when I came here, and it seemed to be one that's very descriptive of us. Becoming a community of believers, intent on experiencing and sharing the renewing life and love of Jesus. I've always appreciated the word intent in that mission statement because uh, we aspire to some things, but we are not a perfect people. Um, and uh, that's good because I'm not a perfect pastor, uh, but you've already figured that out. But this morning I thought it would be good if we focused our congregational prayer around three themes. What are, the, what are the needs, the desires, the hopes of our community this morning? Um, how do we experience and share? How do we act in the world? Because that, those phrases, experiencing and sharing the renewing love of Jesus, are a call to action. They're a call to an inner journey and an outer journey. And then... How do we experience the renewing life and love of Jesus? Where do we need to be renewed? Where do we need to experience Christ's life and love in our lives? So I just want to create some space for us this morning to pray together. Um, and uh, I'll try to guide us through. And if this is a time of silence except for me talking, that'll be okay. And if it's a time where your heart speaks out loud, that's great too. But we want to make space to come before the Lord with our prayers. Join with me. We aspire, Lord Jesus, to be a community of believers. We 
we aspire to be united as one people, but we we also recognize how hard that unity is. There are all kinds of reasons the world would give us why unity in this body would never work. We come from different places. We uh, we speak different languages. We have different educations. We value different things. There's no good reason why we should be united except you call us. You invite us into being community of people who believe in you. And so this morning we bring, spoken and unspoken, our prayers of hope, our prayers of petition, our prayers of thanksgiving for being a community, for being your people. On this uh, fifth Sunday of Lent, there are two scripture readings for us. The first one comes from uh, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of, G- out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And from John chapter 12, beginning with verse 20 through through verse 33. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Those who love their life will lose it, while those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. But now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. 
Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus. Thanks be to God. This morning, it's my privilege to introduce to you Ryan Showalter. Uh, Ryan is a young leader uh, who uh, uh, first I heard about uh, several years ago uh, from friends of mine in uh, the Lancaster Mennonite Conference who uh, said, this guy Ryan uh, is going to go out to Fuller Theological Seminary. You should keep an eye on him, make sure he doesn't become any more heretical than he already is. Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, but uh, uh, Ryan had uh, been leading a, a program of discipling young adults for a life of mission, and in doing so had uh, uh, no, become noticed by a number of uh, Mennonite church leaders when uh, when Ryan was getting ready to finish his uh, double MA at Fuller, one in theology and one in intercultural studies, because. You know, one MA just isn't enough if you're going to move from Pennsylvania to California. Go for the gusto. Um, we were able somehow through the providence of God and through good timing and, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit and sheer dumb luck to uh, get Ryan to stick around. And Ryan and his wife Jen uh, serve uh, together, really, um, in a ministry of developing emerging young leaders in the Brethren in Christ Church. They're just on the front end of that. They're trying to figure out what that means, but uh, the Board of Evangelism and Church Planting in our Pacific Conferences has reached out to Ryan and invited him to take on this role because we know that new churches are going to be launched and existing churches are going to be renewed by developing leaders from within. And so we are uh, really blessed as a conference to have Ryan and Jen in our midst, uh, and we are blessed this morning as a congregation to have Ryan come and speak. So, brother, come, let me pray with you, and uh, you bring the word that God has brought you. Lord, thank you for my brother Ryan. May your spirit speak through him with power and with joy, with grace and with vigor. Thank you for his ministry in our midst. Thank you for his passion for service. Thank you for Jen and their marriage and their relationship. Uh, we are blessed by this brother already. And so speak through him to us, we ask. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Bless you, brother. Well, it is a privilege to be here with you this morning. Um, thank you for that introduction. Wow, I was beginning to wonder who he was talking about. Um, <laughs> It's just a real privilege to, to be here, and um, my wife and I have loved the opportunity to move from cold, snowy, wintry uh, central Pennsylvania to wonderful California. I know we all braved the weather this morning. It's a little overcast, but um, I, I, we can brave this. Um, the first day of spring, I think they got four inches of snow uh, in Pennsylvania, and we decided... <laughs> We like the pictures on Facebook. We'll stay here. Um, but yeah, it's a real privilege and an honor to be here. Um, my wife and I's story is a long story, um, and our journey's been an interesting one. 
Um, like Jeff said, originally, um, my wife and I were both drawn to missions. Uh, my wife had been in YWAM. I had worked with a mission agency for a number of years. And we thought we were going to overseas uh, long-term cross-cultural missions. And God began to shut that door. And anytime God begins to shut a door, sometimes it leads to confusion or anxiety in our lives. Um, but God closed that door, and he opened another door. And that door was for us to come to to Fuller to finish uh, my degree. Um, but in that process, God began to open lots of other doors, uh, connecting with the brethren in Christ and beginning to ask questions about what does it mean to be missional or to be missionaries right here in this cross-cultural context of Southern California. And so that's part of what we're dreaming about, part of what we're thinking about. But in that process, um, <laughs> there's been a lot of questions and sometimes more questions then answers. Uh, this morning I'm talking about hearing God's call. And um, here's a little overview of where we're going. So if you can read that map quickly, you'll see it. Um, but um, we're talking about hearing God's call. And my wife and I decided to do uh, this kind of prophetic thing this week. And my wife and I, in Asia, they have this saying, same, same, but different. Uh, my wife and I have are very similar in a lot of ways, but different in some other ways. And our different gifts are nowhere more evident than when we decide to put a puzzle together. And um, I know that's very hipster of us. Um, I read an article this week about how Anabaptists or Mennonites are a lot like hipsters. Anyway, we decided to put a puzzle together uh, this week. How many of you like puzzles? How many of you ever put puzzles together? Uh, Jen and I decided to put one together, and um, it's been kind of an interesting journey. How many of you have strategies for how you put a puzzle together? Okay, what are some of those strategies? Borders first. Corners, borders, what else? What? Color coordination. You're like my wife, no way. What else? What else? Shapes, yes. I'm much more structural oriented. So I like lines and shapes and things like that. My wife is left-handed and more artistic. And so, yes, she likes the colors and the things like that. And we come to places where we get like stuck and we're frustrated. And then we go, okay, switch. And we'll switch positions or switch sides of the table. And suddenly she's like, oh, this goes here, this goes there. And I'm like, how the world did you do that? Um, but puzzles. I find puzzles to be um, a great analogy of life. They're slow. They're confusing. They only make sense at the end. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, many times you have to give up on a certain piece. You've got a piece and you're like, I know this goes here. And you just, you just have to give up and work on another section. And um, you have to work with different patterns or different strategies. And you've got to rotate through that. Um, at times we might get a glimpse or one aspect of the picture. And we're like, yes, I got the boat done. There's 50 boats, but, you know, I got this one. And you get a glimpse of what it's going to look like, but you're immediately frustrated because you want to move on to the next piece, 
and you can't get there. But we sometimes get glimpses. Well, the puzzle of life. Um, for me, I just graduated from school. And what's the number one question you get when you graduate from school? What are you going to do next? The great puzzles of life. Um, and there may be a whole slew of questions. For my, my wife and I, we're asking questions of, we also have to move out of our apartment uh, at the same time. So where are we going to live? Um, what are we going to do? And that has to do with identity and all those things start to be thrown up in the air. And uh, what about new sets of friends? Because some of our friends graduated and moved on. And what, what about her health? That's one of the questions that we've been asking for a long time. My wife has some long-term health issues. And these are great questions for us. But I'm sure all of you can relate. I'm sure all of you have pieces of a puzzle that are missing in your own lives. And you're sitting here this morning and you come with those questions or you come with those missing pieces of the puzzle or maybe you have an answer and you don't know where it fits. And you're asking some of these same pieces. You may be asking questions about your job or where you live or what about relationships or family or friends or singleness or just a whole slew of questions that you may have, unanswered questions, or maybe it's health or questions of fit or calling, or maybe it's puzzles, questions about God. This morning, I want to talk about hearing God's call in the midst of the puzzle of life. I won't promise that we'll be able to solve the puzzle today. But rather, this morning, I hope to bring a word of encouragement. And maybe a few more pieces of the puzzle will fall into place and give you a glimpse of what the larger puzzle may look like in the end. That's my hope for this morning. This morning, we looked at a couple of texts, two texts in particular. The first one is Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And there's a couple of points that I want to pull out from this passage. The first one is this. I'm not going to reread the passage. Jeff did a wonderful job. He has a much more booming voice. Jeff, you have a wonderful reading voice. Um, <clears throat> I hate reading in public, by the way, so I always like to have my wife or somebody else read, but you did a wonderful job. Um, I just don't like the sound of my own voice reading. Um, chapter 31, a little bit of context and background to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was an Old Testament prophet, and um, things aren't going so well in Israel at the time. And Israel's been divided into two kingdoms, and Jeremiah's in the southern kingdom, and he's prophesying that Judah, the southern kingdom, it is headed towards destruction. Now, this isn't necessarily a popular thing to be prophesying and going around telling people of the world's coming to an end, or this kingdom's going to fall, or things are bad. But that's the context in which they live. And so he is prophesying about destruction for the people's sin, or the people's uh, walking away from God, or losing their identity. And so this passage, that's, what, that's the larger context of Jeremiah. But towards the end, after Jeremiah is given all this doom and gloom, he comes along with a little bit of hope at the end of the chapter. And so it, or in the end of the end of the book. So in chapter 31, Jeremiah's actually beginning to say, it's not all bad news. There is this future hope. 
The, the puzzle isn't all bad. It's going to start to come together in the end. And so he's beginning to prophesy towards the end. And he says this. Um, he says that there is a hope. Regardless of what comes, God will not give up on his people and he will redeem them. In chapter 31, just a few verses before this, in verse 3, it's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. He says about God, or God's, God saying about the people, for I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's a great place to start. In the midst of all the doom, in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of the puzzle not fitting together, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Everlasting love is the kind of love of a husband for his bride. And that's what he talks about in verse 32. So he picks it up there. The love of a husband for his bride or of a spouse. That is how God looks towards us. An everlasting love. The second thing I want to look at in this passage is about identity. The people of God. Now a little bit of a side note here is that when reading Scripture, remember that in the original manuscripts, they did not have punctuation. So they couldn't just put like an exclamation point at the end of a sentence when they really wanted to say something. So if they wanted to really emphasize something, how would they say it? Does anybody know? They would repeat it, or they would use a theme or a narrative, and they would come back to it over and over and over again. So look at this text. Um, we want to notice repeated things. And one of those is an example of the people of Israel. The people of Judah. And again, that's in verse 31. In verse 33, the people of Israel. In verse 34, I will be their God and they will be my people. It's about forming a people. The people of God. This is what this passage is about. This is the hope for what they are looking for. This is what the whole Old Testament was about, was about Israel being the people of God, and the New Testament is looking forward to the people of God in a new sense, which is ultimately the church. But it's about shaping the people. Identity is shaped in community and shaped by His story, God's story, which is written on our hearts. In the Old Testament, they had this thing called the Shema. The Shema is the, the kind of the, the one, it's like Judaism 101. And if you, if you know any Jews or you look it up online, it's still there. The Shema is kind of the basis for all of what it means to be Jewish. And it's found in Deuteronomy 6.5 and it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, along the road when you lie down and when you give up. Or not when you give up, when you get up. Sorry. <clears throat> A little more coffee. <laughs> When you get up, everywhere you go, this is supposed to be your identity, who you are. The old covenant was marked by laws written on tablets of stone and symbolized by circumcision. 
But here Jesus or Jeremiah is looking forward to a new covenant. A new covenant that is written on our hearts. And this was the original intent of this. Written on our hearts and is symbolized by following Jesus. This is who our identity as the people of God is supposed to be. The third thing, so the first thing is context. The second thing is the people of God. The third thing from this passage is agency. Who is the active agent? I want you to look at the passage. uh, Who is acting in, who, who are all the verbs attributed to in this passage? God. It's it's. God who is declaring. It's God who is making things. It's God who is doing things. And repeatedly we hear the author say, I will. I will. I will. It's God who is moving and doing and declaring. This is part of the searching God. And I understand you're on a whole series of the searching God. It shows God's activeness in the world. But we serve, or God is a searching and an active God. Over and over in Scripture, God is reminding His people and us today that He is active. Yes, we are to respond to Him, but it's always in response to His invitation, His movement, His activity, His creativity. The very first thing that we learn about God in the very beginning of Genesis is God creating, moving, and acting in the world, in the universe. The next thing I want to look at this morning is the second passage in John, John 12. A little bit of context on this passage. Jesus has just arrived in Jerusalem. And now it's the triumphal entry or Jesus showing up to great fanfare, you know, with the waving palms and uh, riding on a donkey. And uh, everybody is just really, really excited that Jesus is there. And in this, in the following chapter, um, he is now giving his final teachings to the crowd and to his disciples. So Jesus is giving his, his kind of final words in chapter 12. So that's a little bit of the context. The first thing I want to look at here is the principle of brokenness and multiplication. It's about dying to self and living for Christ. It's about this, broke, this sense of brokenness. In verse 24, Jesus says this, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. We often have to risk what we have, laying it down, letting it die. But if it dies, it will produce more, many times more. You see, God is in the business of restoration, reconciliation, and multiplication. Sorry, I didn't have a third R there. Um, But it takes us... It only takes a single seed, a single piece. But God, an individual, but God is producing many seeds through us, through each one of our lives. This is the kingdom principle. But here Jesus is showing that it requires living for a different set of priorities. It is not his What his flesh wants is not what our flesh wants, but God has a greater purpose. No, it was for this very reason that I came for this hour. God is looking for a greater principle, greater purposes, and greater things that he is doing in the earth. 
It's about following Jesus. This is a, I know this is a brother in Christ's core value, following Jesus. But right here in this text, it comes from whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. Following Jesus. The disciples were those who followed Jesus in life. They spent time with him and they did what he did. And Jesus was with them. The next thing I want us to see is glorifying God. It's about lifting him up. In verse 28, it says this. What is the purpose? To glorify your name. God has glorified it and will glorify it again. Verse 32. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. This was about the way he was going to die, but it was... Um, it, about his salvation and drawing people to himself. That's what he's talking about, being lifted up on the cross and dying for our sins. But it also has a, a secondary symbolic nature about when we glorify God and we lift him up, it attracts people to him. People are curious about why we glorify God or why we live differently. And this is what he is saying. It's symbolic about glorifying him and lifting him up. That God is the primary active agent when we simply bear witness. He draws people to himself. What about me this morning? If Scripture is God's word to me, how will this passage shape me or how will I hear God's call? The first thing that we should hear from God back to the beginning, is it comes in the context of his everlasting love for us. The whole point of, this is the whole point of scripture, Song of Solomon, or 1 John 3, or sorry, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, that's you and me. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Kurt Willems, uh, a brother in Christ church planter in Seattle, has this great quote that I love, and he says this, God's primary posture towards the universe is love. That means God's primary posture or orientation towards you is love. This is foundational in us understanding our calling or who we are. Second, God wants to shape us into the people of God. He is the active agent. He is searching for you. It's about our relationship. It is invitational. The searching God is pursuing us, his people, to reestablish his covenant. He wants a new story written on our hearts, his story. I had a professor in undergrad named Duffy Robbins, and he would always say that what we do is secondary to our identity of who we are. I've heard many people say, well, I have this gift, or that's not my calling, I can't do that, or I'm called to this specific thing. I don't want to get into an argument about all that, but I am a Christian, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and what I do is secondary to that, and I live out my calling in a variety of ways. I am a Christian who loves to run. I am a Christian who is a student. I am a Christian who happens to be called to this particular job, and I love God in that calling. Some of you may be artists, and you love God through that, but your primary calling and identity this morning 
is a follower of Jesus. Next, calling rarely means following the crowd. The crowd in, this, in, in John was a little bit fickle. They one minute were praising him and the next minute they were doing something else. But it doesn't necessarily mean following the crowd. But it does mean that our, our calling is within context of community. But crowd and community are different. Calling means dying to our own selfish agendas. It means serving others. It means Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. It's dying to our own agendas, to our own situations, but giving glory in the midst of those things that aren't quite right. When the puzzle doesn't quite fit together or when things aren't how we hoped or intended them to be in the messiness of life, how do we glorify and give glory to God in the midst of those things? My wife and I are continuing to, to battle sickness and it's, and it's frustrating, but it's in those moments of brokenness that we give glory to God. I love coffee, and I love that you guys have good coffee back here. That just makes my day. Um, but not only do I love coffee, I also find it one of the great images and narratives for my life. Um, because how many of you know that coffee, the greater the brokenness of the bean, the higher the pressure, the greater and the bolder the flavor. It's in the midst of the brokenness in life that the glory of God is revealed in us if we allow him to move. And Jesus exemplified that on the cross. Following Jesus. Following Jesus, it's about following him in the midst of, regardless of whatever we're doing, it's following him step by step. A friend of mine, Glenn, uh, told me a story about a dream that he had one time. And he was, um, he was, he was in this dream and he, he had a picture of Jesus coming towards him. And Jesus came in and embraced him. And as Jesus was embracing him and he just kind of felt that loving, that everlasting love, wrapping his arms around him, he just kind of enjoyed that embrace. His primary identity and calling was in the embrace of Jesus. But then as he began to look at the face of Jesus, he began to look at Jesus, and Jesus at first was looking at him, but then after a while, Jesus began to look over his shoulder and look beyond him. And so he turned and he, he, he saw that Jesus was looking to the side, and so he looked to the side, and over there, he saw that Jesus was looking at other hurting and broken people. And he realized he began to sit, he began in that dream, he began to see that God cared about not just him and not just wanting to embrace him, but God wanted to embrace others as well. And part of following Jesus is seeing what Jesus sees and caring about what Jesus cares about. Yes, it's embracing him, but then it's, it's then going out and embracing others. In this passage, it says, where I am, my servants will also be. That's what it means to follow Jesus, to be his disciple. Where I am, my servants will also be. Next point, glorifying God. It's ultimately about glorifying God. 
I'm a, an Anabaptist pretty through and through, but I've studied at, you know, some Reformed schools. Uh, in the Westminster Catechism, so to broaden it a little perspective, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I love that. You don't have to be Reformed to love that. The chief end of man is to glorify God. It's about giving glory to God in each and every situation. This is a privilege, and it's meant to be fun, to enjoy him, and it's truly an adventure. When we glorify God, we lift him up. We draw people unto, he draws people to himself as we lift him up. It's not our job to go out and to kind of evangelize and convert people. It's simply to go out and give glory to God. And it's God who is active in the world in drawing people to himself. When we glorify God, people will take notice. These are all a part of our kind of our general call. So this morning, I haven't been giving a whole lot of specifics about what does it mean to specifically hear the call of God because I want to kind of paint the broader picture of what it means. But I just for the sake of giving us something maybe that you can take home. I will give you a couple of, one little nugget for about the specific call uh, of God, a couple of tips. Henry Blackaby writes a book called Experiencing God, and if you want a lot more tips, you can go read that. Um, but he says, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church. Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. So if we want to continue to understand God's general call is about our identity within the people of God, but then his specific calls come through the word, through prayer, through our circumstances, our gifts, our call, and specific ways that God has shaped us and the church to reveal himself, his purpose, and his ways. This week, the people of God... As I was praying and thinking about coming and sharing this week, I was, I was driving after a meeting um, in Upland, and I went up through Azusa out towards Mount Baldy, and I decided to take the scenic route home. And um, as I was driving uh, from Mount Baldy towards Glendora, it's a longer drive than I realized, um, I, I came to this spot, and I just stopped and paused, because sometimes I love living in the city, uh, but it's just breathtaking to be out in the mountains sometimes. And I was just sitting there and reflecting on God's call and, and kind of on the puzzle of life and, and the things of this life, and I was just kind of struggling. And um, I was thinking about what's the number one strategy for putting a puzzle together? The borders, corners, and edges. And I was looking at the mountains and the, just the kind of the wonder of God and uh, I was reminded that there are no straight lines in nature. There are no, it's, it's beautiful landscapes, but there are no straight lines. It's one of the greatest telltale signs that humans have been here, is when you see straight lines. In fact, I was hoping you could see it on this picture, but right here, there's a straight line. What is that? It's a road. Telltale sign. Humans are in. <laughs> now, we like straight lines. 
We learned this in grade school. The shortest, the shortest um, distance from point A to point B is a straight line. We make straight lines. Why? Because they are straight. <laughs> They're what? Quickest, quickest, easy, efficient. Absolutely. God isn't always concerned about quick, efficient, easy answers, is he? God often, always, prefers beauty and the scenic route. And as I sat there, I was like, why don't I take the scenic route more often? And then I looked at my watch, absolutely. Our brokenness gives us character. It's what makes us beautiful. When we, when we are putting together, we often start with the edges and then we, we work off the straight lines, yet God often moves outside of the lines and beyond our boxes. I was a little late on my drive home and I was in a little bit of a hurry and those windy roads I started to get annoyed with because they began to make me motion sick when we try to go too fast, and I wanted to get off. I didn't want to go slower anymore. I didn't want to stop and smell the roses. I wanted on the boring 210. But it's not about the... It, life is about the journey, not the destination. So what are our takeaways for this morning? I love this quote by Donald Miller. We live in a world where bad stories are told, stories that teach us that life doesn't mean anything and that humanity has no great purpose. It's a good calling, then, to speak a better story, how brightly a better story shines, how easily the world looks to it in wonder, how grateful we are to hear these stories and how happy it makes us to repeat them. When we take the scenic route, when the puzzle begins to come together, we go, aha. This is a better story. This is a better story. And God wants you to be a part of that better story. Every day is important for us because it is a day ordained by God. And if we are bored with life, then something is wrong with our concept of God and his involvement in our daily lives. Even the most dull and tedious days of our lives are ordained by God and ought to be used by us to glorify him. What is the chief end to man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The Christian calling is to be a part of this bigger narrative. God made each of us unique, and our identity and calling is found within the people of God. Like a puzzle, our goal is unity, not uniformity. Our goal is to be uniquely who God has called us to be, and yet to work together for his greater glory. Like a puzzle that is missing a piece, you two are vitally important to the puzzle of life. A community is not complete without you. You are meant to be a part of that puzzle. This morning as I close, as a reminder, hold this for one second. 
as a reminder of not only how God has made each of you unique, but also how your unique calling is important to the whole. I'm going to pass around a, our collection plate. Um, but this time I'm going to ask you to take, each of you, to take one piece out. Slip it in your pocket or your purse and carry it around with you this week as a reminder of who you are. Go ahead and start passing them around. Each of you are a part of the puzzle, and you may be in that place of feeling broken or confused about what your piece, how it fits. But it fits within the greater puzzle of the people of God and who God has called you to be. You can keep passing that as I pray, but um, and in a minute I'm going to invite Jeff up, and we're going to have a talk back, and you can keep passing that around until it's all the way around. But let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word to us this morning. I thank you for reminding us that each one of us is a part of your greater story, your puzzle, that you can see the full thing that we can't fully see. And Lord, I pray that we would embrace our uniqueness in the way that you have made us. And Lord, I pray that we would step into our calling to glorify you and to be a part of your story and your, your puzzle. Come and use us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So every so often we, uh, we take some time to reflect together on what we've heard. And uh, uh, now is uh, one of those times when we want to talk back to each other uh, about what, uh, what Ryan has shared with us. So uh, your thoughts and reflections and observations. I, I would just say this, Ryan, I was struck by your comment, there are no straight lines in nature. And I would say there are no straight lines in nature or in Pennsylvania. <laughs> yes, the roads there are very bad. God is not concerned about efficiency and neither is the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation. <laughs> nope.